If you have your Bibles or your devices, join me in the book of Esther. We are going to be in Esther chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. That's, where, that's the primary portion of Scripture today we'll be looking at. My name is Ricky Spindler. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a privilege to have you. And as you're turning there, if you're able, uh, I want you to open up Stone Creek Church's app. If you haven't downloaded that, let me give you a strong hint. Open it or download it now. You can find it in the app store or you can scan the QR code in front of you uh, on, the, on the seats as well. You're gonna, we're getting ready to enter into 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. Starting this Wednesday, we'll begin our prayer meetings again, 6.30 in the morning, 12 noon, 6.30 at night. There's four prayer meetings over those 21 days. And it's our goal that you will participate in some way, shape, or form. You don't have to fast all 21 days. Uh, a biblical fast is food. But, but that's not, you don't have to do that. You can do a Daniel fast, fruits and vegetables. You can do social media fast. As long as you're sacrificing something to spend more time with the Lord, that is the important thing. So 21 days, we consecrate our year to the Lord. You'll pray prayers in January that God won't forget and he'll answer in all of our tomorrows in 2023. And this is a special time in, in our church where we collectively as a whole We'll fast and pray and ask God to bless our 2023. And we'd love for you to be a part of that. On the app, we have created for you 21 different patterns of prayer, different prayers that you can pray every single day for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour. It's a, it's a resource. We're going to be resourcing you throughout the entire thing, how to pray for your family, how to pray for your children, how to pray for your marriage, how to pray for your finances. And so we'd love for you, uh, if you haven't downloaded it, download it and make plans to be a part of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, especially those four Wednesdays. Now, the, uh, my whole goal in this whole message is to get you to think about the 21 days of prayer and fasting. So I'm letting you know what I'm doing right up front. And I'm letting, hopefully you'll have a good reason why by the time I'm done. It was the spring, I believe, of 1955 when a young man, 26 years old, graduated from Boston University with a doctorate in theology. This young man was brilliant, intellectually articulate, could handle the great command of the scriptures, and many of his teachers wanted him to go into academia. In fact, many faculties across the United States invited him to be a part of their staffs. His future was bright. However, he wanted to, to be a pastor, to, to get some boots on the ground experience and just to, to see what it was like to be a lead pastor. And so him and his wife and children, they, after a series of interviews, they felt like God was leading them to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. And so this young 26-year-old man and his family moved. And the plan was spend a year to two years in Montgomery, Alabama, and then move back into academia and teach at prestigious universities around the country. But uh, I was there a few months, and on December the 1st, 1955, the actions of one individual would derail his plans, and the vicissitude of history would never allow this pastor to go back into academia because on December the 1st of 1955 is when a black woman courageously sits in a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. You'll see a picture of Rosa Parks. And she refuses to get up. She just said, I'm tired. I'm not getting up anymore. 
and would set off a chain reaction of events that would lead to the Montgomery uh, bus boycott that would ultimately lead to um, the beginnings of a, the modern uh, civil rights movement here in the United States. It's amazing how one action can lead to a whole lot of other actions. The Montgomery Improvement Association, led by a conglomeration of, of black church pastors, quickly nominated an unwilling leader. So they picked, hey, let's just throw this young 26-year-old up in there. And so they did, and that would be a platform that would uh, catapult him on the national scene. And it's that moment that Dr. King, you'll see a young picture of him in the Montgomery bus book. He's 26 years old. He said at that moment, he didn't want to do it, but he looked back later in life and said, God chose me, and here's his words, for an unexpected calling. God chose me for an unexpected calling. It wasn't in my plans, but he chose me for something unexpected. The book of Esther is an unexpected calling. The, the heroine of the story, the central figure, is Queen Esther. And to understand her story, it begins in another place. There is the, uh, King Xerxes, who has recently come in to, to the kingdom. He is assuming reigns of the, of the Persian Empire, and it's hugely influential at this time, probably the greatest empire of the day. And King Xerxes, uh, in his inauguration, threw a party that lasted 187 days. Now, that's a party right there. That's six months of partying. Let's talk about, hello, people, here I am. It was celebrated for 187 days, roughly six months. And at the end of his party, here's the culmination of it, he brings his, his queen out, Queen Vashti, to dance in a sensual way in front of all the dignitaries who had gathered to celebrate. She refuses. And he moves her from her position, banishes her, and he's left without a queen. And so this is where Esther now enters the story. And when Esther enters the story, there's three strikes against her. The first one is this, is that she's a slave. She was captured. She was enslaved by another country. So she's grown up in no prominent positions, no, no, no notorious positions. And the second thing we find out about her is that she is an ethnic minority. She is of a persecuted people. She's Jewish and a very persecuted group within the Persian Empire. And lastly, probably the thing that was the most defining thing is she was an orphan. She had no parents. So she's a slave, she's a minority, and she, she's an orphan. And yet, the scripture says not only she was beautiful within, she had rare beauty. And so the king would put a beauty contest and bring the most beautiful women from the, all the entire empire and through a series of circumstances, ultimately we know it's the hand of God she's chosen. And she is catapulted over the next year and chosen to be the queen of the Persian Empire. Now, that's the, the second character. Now, her story involves two other characters. And the next one is Mordecai. And Mordecai is what I, the best thing I got for him is a crazy uncle. How many of you have ever had a crazy uncle? You know, I don't know about uncles, but they, how many of you are the crazy uncle? Come on, that's... Hey, hey. He's the crazy uncle working behind the scenes. You never know when Mordecai's going to pop up. He's invisible. He's there. He's not. He's there. He's always got the right time. And then uh, Mordecai is even what he's known for early on is he discovers an assassination attempt on King Xerxes. 
and he alarms them of that. It's uncovered, and he's never rewarded because somebody else took the credit. So once again, in the story, he descends behind the scenes. And then you now have uh, the villain, uh, Haman, who is the prime minister of Persia. Uh, There's no one greater than him besides the king. So Haman comes on the scene, and his name means this. He is the illustrious, magnificent, the noise maker, if you, his name literally means, Haman literally means, illustrious, magnificent, and noise maker. Okay, just picture uh, coming through the door, fur coat, lots of gold chains, lots of lights. Ha ha, I have arrived. The illustrious, magnificent Haman is on the scene. And we are told about him, though, that, that it's almost like a, a footnote. It says, Haman the Agagite. Now, when you read that, that might not stand out to you, but it's a prominent title because he is from the lineage of King Agag, which was the king of the Amalekites. And so he's from the royal family of their descendant Amalek, ultimately the Amalekites. And in the narrative of what we're talking about over the last few weeks, here's why the Amalekites or Amalek is so important. It's because they were the first group of people to attack the Israelites once they were set free in bondage from Egypt. So they've been saved, miraculously delivered, and now they're walking towards their promised land, and the first nation group of people to attack them is the Amalekites. And here's the thing about them. Uh, Moses said that we would be at war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. We would never know a season where we would not be facing the Amalekites. Now you're like, I've never met a person named Amalek, or I don't even know where the Amalekites are. But the reality is in the scripture, it says this, that our flesh is always at enmity with the spirit. It's always at war with the things of God. So we have our version, our spirit of Amalek that we all face. Now, Amalek, the name literally means this. It means pure evil. It means those who lick blood because they were cannibalistic. And it also means those of the flesh because there was no debauchery, sensuality, any act of the flesh that wasn't prominent in that culture. It's a very wicked culture. And it was at war with the things of God. And this year, I've just been praying in my study over this last year in preparation for this year. I just felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to me as a pastor that I want you to speak on Amalek for the first few weeks because I want 2023 to be a year where I deal with the Amaleks in their life. Have you ever tried to just start living for God and you do so for a season and you make God's doing a great work in your life and then something like Amalek shows up in your life? The alcoholism starts coming back. The, the anger shows up again. The bitterness, the pornography, the lust, the greed. Am I talking to anybody up in here? It's getting quiet. I would venture to say right now, you know what your Amalek is. What if 2023, God would want to deal with that in a, in, a, in a way to where it has no more control and no more power over you? And you're about to read the last time Amalek shows up in written form in the scripture. So I've showed you the beginning in Moses. Now today I'm going to show you the end, and over the next few weeks I'm going to show you everything in between. So what happens with Haman is this. 
is Haman talks the king into making a policy that wherever the illustrious, magnificent, the noisemaker Haman shows up, the people are to bow down and to worship him. And every city he enters into, every street he walks on, people bow down, except one man, Mordecai. Because Mordecai says, I bow down to no man, I bow down to only God alone. And he becomes the object of Haman's hatred and vitriol. And he says, I'm going to kill him. But I'm not just going to kill him. I'm going to eradicate every Jew. I'm going to eradicate the whole race from the Persian Empire. And here's what he does. He, he gets a Purim, which is a, a dice. And they would roll the dice to determine the will of the gods. And so we're going to say, let the dice pick a date in the future. And that will be the day, by chance, that we kill all the Jews. He rolls the dice, the Purim. And it's 11 months into the future. So the day's set. The edict's out. 11 months. All of the governing leaders know on that day they are to kill all of the Jews. Mordecai gets wind of this. He knows what's happening. And so now he has a conversation with Esther, who is now queen. She's in a prominent position. And this is where we find ourselves at the climax. Everything after this can be traced back to these three scriptures. This is, if you're watching a movie, this is the, when the music's getting intense. This is when everything changes right here. And let's read Esther chapter 4, verse 14. And this is Mordecai talking to Esther the queen. He said, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. <laughs> but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, Esther, but that you have come to your royal position. How many of you have ever quoted these words before? Say it if you've ever said it. Come on, say it, read it with me. For such a time as this. Here it is. This is God's unexpected call. For such a time as this. So read Queen Esther's response. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. I want you to go and gather together all the Jews who were in Susa, which was a capital city, and I want you to fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. She could only go in if she was invited. She could never force her way into his presence. And these are these famous words, if I perish... I will perish. If I perish, I perish. Now, two things happen immediately here. Two things happen that seem like coincidence, but later we find out they're not. The first is this. While they're fasting and praying, the king can't sleep. He has insomnia. Probably too much partying. You know what I'm saying? 187 days, brother. Hey, that'll take you out. Too much uh, pizza late at night or something. He has insomnia, he can't sleep, so he brings in the scribe who is the one who records all the actions of his rule. So he wants to hear all the great things that he's done so far. So the scribe is reading the record of his rule, and he starts reading by happenstance the story of Mordecai. And the story of Mordecai, how he uncovered the assassination attempt and rescued his life. In the middle of the night, he stops the scribe from reading, and he says, what was done for that man? And they said, nothing was, nothing was recorded was ever done. So it says the king couldn't sleep all night because this great act was done towards him, and he never rewarded it. 
So in the morning, who does he call? Haman, the illustrious, the magnificent, the noisemaker, walks in. And he says, what should be done for the man who saved the king's life? And Haman thinks it's about him. So you know what he says? I'd put him on a horse. I'd give him the king's ring. I'd give him the king's robe. And I'd proclaim a herald to walk in front of the horse and describe all the great things he's done for the king. And the people will bow down and give him praise. And the king says, that's a great idea. I want you to go do it for Mordecai. <laughs> and Haman's like, say what? But he has to. And he does it. So the irony of the story here is enemies, and he's parading Mordecai, which does this, and deeply embeds the hatred even more and speeds up the time frame. The day after Haman goes and does this, he goes and erects a 75-foot stake with a spear at the end, and it was a gallows is what the scripture said. And what he was going to do is the next day he was going to take Mordecai and impale his body on top of that 75-foot um, spear. I mean, he couldn't just do a normal one. He's the illustrious, magnificent noisemaker. He's got to put it over all the buildings so the whole city can see what happened to Mordecai. Well, now Queen Esther's timetable has moved up, and now she realizes the detriment of the moment, and she rushes, uh, with the risk in your life, into the presence of King Xerxes and reveals all that is there. He leaves, Haman comes in to beg for his life because he knows he's found out. And the king comes back in and sees Haman grabbing at the dress of the queen and thinks he's up to no good. And the whole thing is judged in a moment. And King Xerxes gives the decree that the very gallow you had for Mordecai, you this day will now be perished upon that. And, and it's an incredible change and a turn of events that happens. Now, this story is pointing to different characters in the New Testament. So now you will read the story with great understanding. First, Mordecai represents the Holy Spirit. He is the invisible hand at work behind the scenes. He, he, he comes in to encourage, to admonish, to proclaim identity to Esther. And Esther at this moment represents the church. She's the living bride of Christ, the church, the scripture says. And she is beautiful in her own right. The scripture says that Jesus is coming back for a church that is without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. And notice that when Mordecai and Esther, church and spirit, work together, a whole lot of people get saved. And then you have Haman who represents, of course, the devil who can't just take Adam and Eve. He has to take out the whole human race to kill, to steal, and destroy. But for us personally, it represents the flesh. And the end of all sin, it just doesn't want to take you out. It wants to take everybody around you out. And then it, we have King Xerxes. When you look past all the fallibilities of that king, you can see beyond it to the position of a godly king, God the Father. Notice that Haman is never dealt with until the king speaks. But at the king's word, he's the only one with the power and the authority, boom, to deal with the situation. And the moment he speaks, boom, Haman, the Amalekite, is dealt with. There are three profound things in this scripture in this story of an unexpected call that I think we can glean from and draw something from in this season of 2023. The first is, is this, 
is Amalek, the Amalekite, the devil, our enemies, can only be defeated when we fast and pray. Listen, there are certain strongholds in your life that will never be defeated without fasting and prayer. And if you want to be someone who deals the death blow to the Amalek in your life, embrace in some way, shape, or form prayer and fasting. The disciples, when Jesus was away, one time they, cast, they were trying to cast a demon out of a boy who was thrown into rage and fits. And Jesus appears back on the scene. What are you doing? He says, we're trying to cast it out, but it won't work. And Jesus said something. He said, this kind, in Mark 9, can only come out with prayer and fasting. I call it a concentration of force in military terms. A concentration of force is when you've discerned a breakthrough moment in the enemy's line, and if you concentrate everything there, you can break through and ultimately win in a strategic moment. Fasting adds, it's a concentration of force against the enemy. It, if, if your normal prayers are a flashlight, then fasting is a laser. If you can take a flashlight and run it through enough prisms, you can create an intensity of light that is strong enough to cut a diamond. It's called a laser. Laser cut diamond. If you were to take your water faucet and run it through enough filters, you could create enough pressure to cut steel because you have focused it enough. And what, that, what fasting does to prayer is it focuses our general prayers and begins to focus them on something so that you can cut through with greater power the work of the enemy on your life. I find it interesting that the last time he's mentioned, fasting preceded it. So do not take these next 21 days lightly, January the 11th through February the 1st. Second is this, God is an intentional insomniac. That's true. Let me think about this. Everything changed in the story when the king couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep, staying up, and then he grew concerned over Mordecai's situation because of insomnia. Mordecai had no idea what was going on, but the king was thinking about him when Mordecai didn't even think about it. You know, the scripture says this in Psalms 121, that, that God watches over Israel. He watches over you. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God has an intentional insomnia. That means you can rest well, you can sleep well, because he's always up thinking and working on your behalf. The scripture even says this, that he sings songs of deliverance over you in the night season. That God sings songs of deliverance, of freedom over you when you are asleep. He is an intentional insomniac. I'm going to sleep good tonight. How about you? Thirdly, and this is my favorite part, this is the irony of the story that is lost if, if, if you don't see it. But when, they, when, um, when Mordecai and Esther, when they ultimately are rescued, King Xerxes gives the decree, they're, they're, they're just, uh, just put up in incredible prestigious positions. And so what they do, all the Jews... They declare a feast, and they call it the Feast of Purim, the Feast of the Dice. 
It's a play on words. A feast of the dice, and it's still celebrated to this day. The feast of the dice, it means this. There's two things that happen during the feast of Purim. I think the name is important because they're, they're saying this. Haman thought it was chance that was going to destroy us, but actually it was God's intentionality that saved us. God leaves nothing to the roll of the dice. He leaves nothing to chance. He is sovereign and he has a plan. God leaves nothing to chance. But if you were to go to a Jewish family, a traditional Jewish family that would celebrate the Feast of Purim, here's what would happen. After feasting and celebration, the rabbi would sit down, the children and families would gather in a room, something like this, and they would begin to read over those two days to culminate it, the story. Ready? They would read the story of Esther. And when they would get, they'd hear chapter one, King Xerxes, they'd read chapter two, Mordecai, and then they'd get to chapter three and they'd read the story of Haman. And did you know that when his name is mentioned, he's mentioned 53 times in the text, it's the most mentioned name. But when his name is mentioned, when the rabbi reads it, all of the children will scream, holler, yell, and boo to blot out the mention of his name. They will blot out the illustrious, the magnificent noisemaker. I think it's interesting that the children, the children will make some noise to blot out the noisemaker. I just think that's interesting. You know, as the worship team comes, you know, the scripture says in, that in heaven that, that Satan was the worship leader. Lucifer was his name. And he would lead the angels in worship in heaven of the Lord. But a lot of theologians believe that somehow the language around him is interesting because it seems to, to teach and, and, and allude to the fact that somehow he was made of horns. He was made of musical instruments. And that when the wind of heaven, when the spirit would blow through heaven, it would literally blow through his body and make beautiful music and would lead the angels in worship. I think it's interesting that one of the greatest weapons we have is what the devil used to do. He made some noise, and now we make some noise. When you worship, you're taking the very thing that he did, you're taking it and using it against him. I just think that's an interesting thing that we have today. And ultimately, it's, I think, when the when the temptation comes, when you feel like Amalek is talking to you and he's making noise over here, you need to make noise over here. Be quick to pray. Be quick to praise. Be quick to worship. Be quick to use your prayer language. Make some noise. So I want to close today by making just a little bit of noise up in this room. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we close here today. If you can stand, stand. And if you, if you don't mind, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We sung, I'll come to the altar earlier. We're going to sing it again. The altar is the place of divine exchange. For the New Testament Christian, it's the place of prayer. Create a prayerful moment where you're at right now. I want you to put your hands out in front of your palms up before the Lord as a sign of humility. I'm going to speak to two people, groups. I'm going to speak first to those who are yet to receive Jesus. 
Listen, God has brought you here, not by chance, not by the roll of the dice, but by divine call. It may be an unexpected call right now. You didn't come here for this, but you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you, speaking to you even now. That's the Holy Spirit that's coming upon you. That's God. And he wants a relationship with you. He's choosing you. And if you're here and you need to surrender and say yes to Jesus and receive his forgiveness, humbly invite him to do a work right now. Ask him to be the king over you. He's the only one that has the authority to save you. Say, Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me. I give my life to you. Save me, Lord. God has brought time and space for this moment right now. Begin to pray. And now I'm speaking to the other side of the room, those who are already in Christ. And I just want us all across this room with our hands just extended like this. I want you not to be silent right now. I want you to begin to talk to the Lord. Come on, just make a little noise where you're at. Come on, if Amalek's been wreaking havoc on your life, let's make some noise this morning. Come on. You want to clap, clap. If you want to just lift your voice and praise the Lord a little bit, come on. Let's just do it for a few seconds here. Come on. Let's just praise the Lord, worship the Lord. Let's just blot out the name of Amalek at the mention of his name. I praise you. I exalt you. I lift you up. He's a good Savior. He's a wonderful God. I believe as Amalek goes down, praise and worship has to go up. He's only defeated in an atmosphere of worship and praise. That's why his name can never be mentioned. I want you to think of your Amalek. I want you to think who it is, what it is. I don't care what it is. It's going to be defeated this year in 2023. And I just want you just even now, just, just in your prayer right now, just begin to pray. This is a version right now of you making noise. Begin to talk and pray to the Lord. And say, Lord, this year in 2023, I just claim victory over my Amalek. In the name of Jesus, over the anger, over the bitterness, over the pain, over the lust, over the pornography, over the addiction, over the alcoholism, Lord, I, I claim victory over it. It will not rule over me. I declare war over it in the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of freedom. Where you are, there people are free. And I pray, Lord, let this be a year like Isaiah 60. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He is proclaimed. He's anointed me to proclaim freedom to the captives. I pray let a freedom spirit come upon our church where people will be set free from life-controlling depression and life-controlling issues. They would be set free. Remove the Amaleks from our life, Lord. And Jesus, I pray during these 21 days of prayer and fasting, Lord, let there just be a supernatural acceleration. Let, it, let things happen in, in this month here, these 21 days that we will walk in for the rest of the year. Lord, I bless these people, your people, in Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing as we worship the Lord together.